This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, investing in educators and lifting up the Kansas City region, which is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. Their takeaway was, why don't we know about this? Why doesn't anybody tell us about this? Why, why do we not face this? We wanted to talk about a new memorial to lynching victims that opened recently in Alabama, and that conversation turned out to be so good, that's the only thing we're talking about this episode. We speak with two teachers who have already taught lynching in their classes for years, and two teachers who want to start teaching that tough subject but don't know where to begin. If you care about connecting history and the real world to your students' lives, you'll want to listen to this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher, now turned journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. Maddie Burkemper, haven't seen you in a while. What do you teach? Hi, I teach fifth grade. <laughs> Jamie Myers, what do you teach? Eighth grade applications. And a new face at the table this week, happy to introduce her, Lynn Shipley. What do you teach? I teach seven grade computer applications. All three of them are educators at public schools in the Kansas City metro area. We're also joined by a guest on the phone who I'll introduce momentarily. Well, let's get to our first topic. An unprecedented kind of public memorial opened recently in Montgomery, Alabama. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice documents more than 4,000 lynchings of black people that occurred in the southern United States between the late 1870s and the 1950s. Its centerpiece is 800 six-foot-tall rust-colored steel slabs suspended in air, each representing a county in the United States in which a documented lynching occurred. The memorial is the product of hundreds of private donations and the brainchild of criminal defense attorney Brian Stevenson, who's founder of the nonprofit Equal Justice Initiative. Stevenson told CBS's 60 Minutes recently that he hopes the memorial helps spark a public reconciliation over America's legacy of racism, bigotry, and hatred. Right now, when we talk about our history, when we talk about our past, we're not telling the truth. We're just not. America can be a great nation even though there was slavery. Even though there was lynching, even though there was segregation, but if we don't talk about those things we did, we don't acknowledge those things, we're not going to get there. Well, what are teachers' roles in that conversation that Brian Stevenson, the Equal Justice Initiative, and their National Memorial want to spark? What are schools' responsibilities for being a part of the type of national reckoning that this new memorial is clearly agitating for? So we have our three <laughs> teachers at the table. At the same time, we're joined on the phone by Tom Perryman. He is a teacher and assistant head of school at Green Hill School, a private pre-K through 12 school just outside Dallas, Texas, and he's actually already been to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery. Tom, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Well, I want to start with you, Tom. You uh, teach two courses to high school juniors and seniors at your school. One, as you tell me, on social justice poetry, another on the history of human rights. And I want to know, as an educator, what impact did the memorial have on you? It is overwhelming. The Slabs, as you described them, go from being at eye level to suddenly you are you are dropping down and they begin to hang above you, um, you know, like like bodies in a tree. It, it's it's an intense experience. Well, I'll I'll ask you. You're still thinking about it. You've had time to reflect. You're going to go back to school tomorrow and see your kids. They knew you were going to the memorial. Uh, 
Have you thought about what you're going to tell them? I'm in the middle of teaching a uh, my social justice poetry class, and we have we have studied the poem "Strange Fruit," Abel Mirapol's "Strange Fruit," and so we've we've begun wading into that conversation. Then I'm just going to talk about what I experienced. Oh, that's a good segue into into talking about actually uh, teaching about the extremely tough topic of lynching and Lynn Shipley, who joins us at the table today. Uh, and you say you teach computer applications, but you've actually integrated the topic of lynching into that computer applications course uh, for several years now. And I'd like you to explain how you do it, um, how you introduce this topic, and and, and what is the scope of, of what you're teaching about lynching in your class. Well, basically, uh, I put together a Africans in America a curriculum for my students to work through the four different applications that they'll be using in computers uh, from this time forward. And so as we go through American history and we work with ex- uh, Westward Expansion in our social studies course, we start looking at how African Americans were treated after the Civil War. Lynching is one of the largest intimidation tactics that were u- that was used to ensure that blacks after the Civil War stayed in line with what took place during slavery. And so it's important that the students understand that part of their history in alignment with where we are today. And if we're not honest with them about the laws that came after the end of the Civil War, if we're not honest with them about how African Americans were still treated through Jim Crow laws and through intimidation tactics, what I find out is our students of color are deficient in their history. And so using the African-American or Africans in America history, uh, it enables me to use all of the particular applications they need, yet delve into an area that they are deficient in. What, what are their reactions when they delve into it? They ask why. They want to know why such injustice takes place uh, because of skin color. Really want to know how laws are created to disenfranchise a whole segment of the population. And I have uh, blacks, whites, Hispanic, uh, Asians, Islamic students in my classes. So we are really a safe place that allows them to have that conversation. We have come a long way to whitewashing our history. We don't want to look at the bad things. But the fact is, you have to know where you've come from in order to know how you want to move forward. Yeah. Uh, Back to Tom Perryman, uh, just kind of jumping off what Lynn just said. Does this memorial in Montgomery, Alabama help uh, teachers in, I guess, what you could consider a larger project of presenting tough historical truths in class and having students confront the bad or you would maybe even say evil parts of America's history? I mean, is there a bigger reconciliation going on right now with American history? I would think that uh, what what is education ultimately if it's not truth telling, and uh, our job is to to force our kids to wrestle with with uh, as Ms. Shipley said where where we come from, and these are these are not atrocities that happen on the other side of the planet. These these are right here in our backyard. Uh, I should also say. Uh, Students, you yourself and students from your school um, collected soil from uh, around the Dallas area to send to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. It's part of the exhibit there is there's there's uh, mason jars of soil from from the counties where lynchings occurred. What was that like and, and what were you, what do you think your students um, gleaned from that experience? This past year, I decided that I wanted to find a way to deepen my students' experiences so to, to make it local. And so my students 
went, we went on a trip downtown where in 1910, a man named Alan Brooks was being detained in the old red courthouse in downtown Dallas. And before he could go to trial, he was pulled out of a second floor window by, by a mob. Um, he probably died on impact at the, at the foot of that window. Um, and then he was dragged six or seven blocks down to the, the corner of Ackerd and Main, uh, where his body was, was hung for the, the intimidation that Ms. Shipley was talking about. This site is 50 yards from the JFK assassination site. And every day for 55 years, thousands of people have gathered just a short distance away to remember President Kennedy and his assassination. And yet 50 yards away, nobody in Dallas had any idea that this awful, awful event had happened right there. Uh, There's no sign. There's no commemoration. There is a small placard on the inside of a museum. Um, But nothing for the, the passerby, whether it be tourist or you know, business person on the way to lunch um, to see and recognize what had happened there. And that's just wrong, and, and my kids were outraged by that. Um, and so they, they felt a real um, passion in sort of shining a light on this dark place by, by gathering the soil and, and sending it to Montgomery. And, and when I saw the wall of, of all these mason jars and saw where where the Dallas, Texas uh, jar for for Mr. Brooks was, it it just was a a gut punch. Uh, how you describe it, the 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 lynchings themselves were were terrible public spectacles, and I think that's what really comes across both at this memorial as well as uh, the work of the Equal Justice Initiative in documenting over four thousand lynchings that were committed in this era. It's a tough topic to bring up. There are a lot of really searing, uh, bloody images, stories of victims who had uh, not only just hung, which is bad enough, but, you know, victims who had body parts cut off, um, eyes gouged out with hot pokers, people being burned alive. All this, I guess, by way of asking both Tom and Lynn as well, who've both taught this subject, uh, I guess, how far do you go in describing some of the things that were done? Do you show pictures? Is there a a line to be drawn um, when you're talking about such a terrible uh, terrible history. Well, I won't show pictures of such gory details of people being cut open and things of that nature. I do talk with the students about the desecration of the bodies. They need to know what has taken place, and it needs to be conveyed so that it is not repeated. Tom, your feelings? Uh, you've taught this, this very tough material before. Do you draw any lines on your curriculum? Uh, I'm, I'm teaching juniors and seniors, and we have had a chance to read, to read some pretty graphic poems. Having said that, there's one thing to sort of reading words before we go into the images. And yes, I show them very graphic images. They're horrific images. Uh, I, I do give my kids, you know, sort of a heads up that this is coming. Uh, they have the opportunity to leave the class if they, if they wish. I've never had one do that, but, but I will say that when we are done with uh, I, I essentially show sort of a PowerPoint of, of slides, and at the end of it, we just sit in silence. Um, and it usually takes quite a while before anybody's willing to to talk. And and I will say that one of the things that that 
hits home the most with my students is the spectacle and the fact that a lot of these would turn into postcards and mailed all over the country. And you see in them people smiling and laughing and pointing, and frequently there's children in there. And, and my students are just stunned by that. Yeah. Lynn, you have something to say? Yeah, I, I, I agree totally with him about debriefing with the students and giving them time to sit with the information. But I also have them write me. So yeah. I know that um, they understand what has taken place and then I can address any issues with them personally. I had one y- young white man who statement was, I fear that my family members were in this crowd. Like Tom, I would love to take my students down to see the memorial. And in doing so, I asked him, would he want to go? And he said he didn't think he could afford it. And my statement was, if we can get you a scholarship, he said, definitely. So you can tell that when you have good conversations with kids, even at the middle school level, they understand the role, how it fits, and they're willing to do the work to get past this. Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. Maddie and Jamie, you've been sitting here patiently uh, with this conversation. I did want to bring you in as well and uh, just kind of think what are your, at this point, what are your professional reflections about your own classroom? I don't know if you've all had, if you have had cause to, to teach lynching or, or even touch upon it tangentially in your own curriculum, but um, what are you thinking? It's just like a lot of the inadequacies that I feel as the authority in my room to... Like, I have a role to—I do think teachers have a role to teach this to their children in the ways that Lynn and Tom have been describing. And what I keep thinking is it's not okay that I don't know what my own role is in teaching those students. That's something that I want to talk with my students about, but then my first question is first the age— You know, I teach fifth-grade students. Next year, I'm going to teach third-grade students. So there's a very large age gap between my children and and their children and their classrooms. And then I also feel a giant disparity in my own education. I mean, I would describe it as a a crisis in our education, that there is a crisis in a gap in the education that we're giving our kids, you know, like, Uh, you know, there's that deficiency growing there. So I, what do you, I'm feeling like really overwhelmed and really passionate about wanting to figure it out, but I don't have any immediate answers right now. That might be a good, a good time to ask, I guess, whether it be Tom or, or Lynn or anyone else. So, I mean, how can teachers who, who maybe have not taught this or, or, are just kind of thinking about teaching it? What, what's the next step for teachers in that position? One, uh, I think what Maddie is saying is correct. You, you need to understand where your students are age-wise mm-hmm. and what is age-appropriate. 
Uh, secondly, there's ways to talk about it without going into the explicit nature of the uh, pictures. Ida Wells Mm -hmm. uh, was very, she was a journalist, very important in exposing the lynchings that took place. That's a great way to start with younger students because she's a figure, she's a historical figure we don't talk about. And it's it's odd that her grave site was uh, desecrated this past week to coincide with the opening of the uh, lynching memorial. Uh, So There are people, the NAACP, Mm -hmm. uh, introducing that organization. There are organizations and people that fought against this to introduce them as historical figures at younger ages to get them to start understanding the fight against lynching and to move forward as they get older. Mm -hmm. Jamie Myers, I wonder what you're thinking and you're thinking about, I mean, we've talked frequently on this program about your situation. Oftentimes you, you butt up against um, your your students in your community's uh, political values um, and how they sometimes sometimes do not align with yours. I don't necessarily want to make this conversation about that, but right. I, I'm thinking about how, how are you thinking about this fitting into your own particular context? Well, I think it's really great to hear from Lynn because I teach an applications class, but it's not a computer applications class. And so I have a lot of freedom to incorporate different subject matter. And this is something that my kids need to hear. This is something that they need to discuss and they need to understand because I don't teach a lot of students or of color. I teach a lot of the white, you know, rural kids and they don't have the sensitivity that they need. They don't even treat each other like humans sometimes. And they need to have this conversation. They need to see our history because just like Lynn said about her young student thinking why my parents might have or my grandparents might have been in that that mob a lot of my kids could say the same thing and it might be very real that they were and so this is a conversation that they need to have because they are completely desensitized they don't they don't have face-to-face conversations they don't treat each other like humans everything's done behind a screen and so to tear that down I would love to do something like that it's just I'm kind of overwhelmed like Maddie I don't know where to start but I think that this is an important conversation that our kids need to have for yeah. sure well that well there is that question then where where do you start Lynn where did you start <laughs> uh, Jamie you feel um, you seem pretty impassioned about wanting to try to do uh, something or, or, or introduce this topic I, I wonder what are you what are you worried about? What, what, what do you think would be, what, what would you be anxious about? Uh, again, in your particular context, uh, trying to introduce this. And Well, I think I could have a lot of pushback from parents saying that that's not my content area. Why are, my, why are you teaching that? Why don't, leave, why don't you leave that to the history teacher? I think just in general, empathy is lost. Our kids today, a lot of the times. And so to try to teach something like this, I could feel that students would make their uncomfortable feelings into jokes or they might not take it as seriously as they need to. And they, like I said, that empathy wouldn't be there. I have, you know, empathy and compassion on my board as two of our goals every year. And I still see students just kind of laughing at things that are not laughable. And so that's that's just my main concern is... Bigger philosophical question for everyone. I think what are... You know, we heard Brian Stevenson at the beginning of this segment speaking to 60 Minutes about the kind of national truth and reconciliation process that he's hoping not only the work of the EJI, but this national memorial is sparking. Uh, What are schools' role in that 
reconciliation process over lynching and I guess more broadly over just uh, racism, uh, racial terror, racial hatred? Uh, what are schools' roles? To teach our children how to think critically about their lives and about uh, where they have come from and where they want to be. Uh, t- talk about whitewashed curriculum and, and textbooks. The state of Texas, what we do with textbooks is absolutely shameful. And, and fortunately, in my teaching situation, I'm not beholden to that, so I don't have to, to get around that. But un- until we do get around to that, until we do have people making those decisions ab- about, you know, truth-telling, then it's, it's going to, you know, fall to a lot of courageous teachers to find ways to, to insert these experiences into their kids' school lives. I mean, all of this is ancient history to them, and yet it's not. Mm-hmm. And, and helping them understand that these are things that are still happening today, these are things that are happening in our own backyard, um, having them do the research. I, I had my students do all this primary source research. They went and read Dallas City Council minutes from 1910. They read the Dallas Morning News, you know, uh, in the week following that. They, they did primary source research primary source research and so it was it was just a perfectly good historical research project about something that i knew i wanted to know about uh and their takeaway was why don't we know about this why doesn't anybody tell us about this why why do we not face this Uh, that to me is the takeaway lynn what do you see as your role in this this larger national conversation if at all I primarily have taught in middle school, and there's a lot of social and emotional learning that goes along in middle Mm -hmm. school. Uh, One of the things uh, is to help kids grapple with uh, what they feel are injustices in the system. At that age, everything is either fair or not fair. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so helping them to develop those skills that if they see something is unfair, to give them the tools to research it, to find their own truth. That is the role that schools should play nationwide. There are two sides to everything, and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. And I think that when we give students the permission and the skill to develop and understand and learn and research their own truth, they make wonderful citizens, they make wonderful conversationalists, and they own their own learning. And uh, Jamie and Maddie, for wrapping this up, you know, based on your comments, it sounds like you guys are kind of thinking about how you might uh, integrate this into your future curriculum. You seem on the cusp of maybe rethinking parts of what you teach. Uh, where does this conversation leave you? What are your What are your final thoughts about maybe this bigger conversation that schools are engaged in right now about reconciling some of our our country's past history? Research. I need to spend some time over the summer really looking into how I can put this into my curriculum because it does connect. It does connect with where my students are in social studies in the fourth quarter. And it is something, I mean, since I have a writing background and an English background, this is something that we can totally incorporate. So I just need to find the way to do that. I think this is a very serious possibility that my curriculum map will change for next year and I will be able to put something in place in fourth quarter. And teaching in the free state of Kansas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kyle, can, can yeah. I make a quick suggestion sure. of a resource? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, has an amazing uh, curriculum called Teaching Tolerance. 
and it's just splcenter.org, uh, and, and they have wonderful materials, videos, and uh, just texts and readings that are a great starting off point. Awesome. Thank you. And Maddie, where are you left at? Exactly what Jamie said, and then also thinking about my students, but also pivoting to think about what my impact is within my own building and knowing that I do teach fifth graders, but I work with other adults um, who might not spend time thinking about or having these types of conversations. So I think that bringing it to my teaching team, to my principal, and having conversations that could maybe impact on a bigger level my school district and that system. Well, I hope the conversation we've had today, um, it does impact uh, what you're teaching in the future, and even if you're listening, what it uh, might think about your own thoughts in your own classroom. Well, uh, Tom Perryman, teacher and assistant head of school at Green Hill School, just outside Dallas, Texas. Uh, thank you so much for joining with us and, and talking with us about your own experiences and, and your own thoughts on this. Thank you. This is, this is important work, and I'm, I'm honored to have a chance to, to visit with Kansas City teachers, and we, we're all in this together. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, it was Tom. nice Thank meeting you. you. Thank you, guys. Uh, we're going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control, and what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. You can like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. You can find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard today, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. I wanted to let you know about another live event we have coming up that I'm really excited about, and I think you'll be excited too, especially if you live in the Kansas City area. No Wrong Answers is hosting a live town hall forum Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at Kansas City's Paseo High School. We're calling this event School Choice. Is it working? We're going to have a panel featuring Kansas City Public Schools Superintendent Mark Bedell, University Academy Charter School Superintendent Tony Klein, plus KCUR, Kansas City Public Radio's education reporter, and my colleague Ellie Moxley. You can sign up for this event at No Wrong Answers Facebook page. Again, this is Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at Paseo High School here in Kansas City. Hope to see you there. So now, with just a little, what, less than a month left in school, maybe? Kids these days? Maddie? I'll go first. What are, what are your kids into these days? Yeet. Yeet? Y- yeah, Y-E-E-T. It is a, um, an interjection that can be used to express excitement. Is this the official, like, Merriam-Webster definition of yeet? <laughs> no, that was my own informal definition that I pulled together for our audience on the spot. <laughs> uh, so give me a, like, give me a, uh, give me a uh, usage. Give me a, a use yeet in a sentence. For uh, me, it originated 99% sure. Email no wrong answers if if this is incorrect, but I I did research and it originated in um, basketball, like when you make a three point shot. So instead of like yeah, you could say yeet. My kids say it all the time, but they use it in a different way, like in a different connotation. They use it as a JK. Like sometimes I'll go up to a kid and say, "Hey, do you want some Skittles?" And they'll go yeah, and I go yeet, and then I walk away from them <laughs> to try and. So like psych, almost. Yeah. Yes, that's that's perfect. That's the, or like you got something on your shoes, yeet, and then they're like, oh, gotcha. So I don't. I actually don't know. 
It seems very flexible. Maybe our audience has a better idea. I'll ask a kid (laughs) on Monday. Uh, Jamie, what are your kids into? Uh, Track right now is huge. And um, being outside and... The sport track. Yes. Um, They're breaking, you know, PRs, and that's all they can talk about is their PRs and how fast they're running and how good the team is. I think they're undefeated right now. So... They're really pumped about track right and now. And PR is standing for personal records, it correct? Is. Yes, know? yes. <laughs> so no, with uh, in the middle school track, right? So are yes. there are there certain sports that are 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 more top of mind, more primary uh, events that are like the most popular? Uh, the throwing events are kind of popular, but also the relays. They're really their last meet was a relay meet. So even if you were a thrower or um, a, a pole vaulter or you know. If you did the field events, everything was still considered a relay. So your scores was ba- were based on how everyone did. Oh, so yeah, yeah very exciting. <laughs> and the weather has turned very spring-like now, so yes. it's it's, which was not the case even a couple weeks ago here in Kansas City. So right. That's, that's, so lots of sunburns yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, well, Lynn, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what are your kids into these days? You've never done this before. <laughs> no, no, I have not. So I had to really think. But my kids are into map testing. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is the standardized <laughs> test for the state of Missouri. The Missouri Assessment Program is what MAP stands for. Yes. Uh, we are have a month-long window, and we're working with them uh, day in, day out. But they seem to be taking it seriously. So, so they, are, they are really into it, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, we're only testing one or two days a week, so that helps a lot. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks to our teachers this week, Maddie Burkhamper, Jamie Myers, and Lynn Shipley. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3 Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. Be nice to your teachers.